Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us this morning to obey your law always, forever and ever. Oh Lord, we pray that we would have renewed hearts this morning and that we'd be striving to be holy as you are holy. As we look at your word, we pray that we'd be confronted about our sin and that your Holy Spirit would press us to serve you all the more faithfully. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue to look at the words of the prophet Amos in the Old Testament. Amos was a prophet who prophesied uh, during the time that the kingdom of Israel was split into the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel in the north. And his ministry was primarily to the kingdom of the north, uh, the kingdom of Israel, not the kingdom of Judah. And we've been looking at the different things that he has been confronting the Israelites about the different sins that they are guilty of. And last week we saw in chapter 5 the guilt of religious hypocrisy, that they were often behaving as religious hypocrites. And this morning he wants to tackle a particular group within Israel. He's going after those who are complacent, those who think that they are secure. And we see that in verse 1. I encourage you to have a Black Church Bible open, if you didn't bring your own this morning, at page 909. And we'll be concentrating on those verses that I just read from Amos chapter 6, 1 through to verse 7. And we see there in verse 1 that the people he he is confronting, in particular this morning, are the people who are complacent. First one says, Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Amos is confronting those who feel particularly secure in their lives and that they are complacent about those around them. And then he goes on to speak about how they show their complacency. He speaks about the way that they are living demonstrates that they feel quite secure, otherwise they wouldn't be living such lives. What are the things that the Israelites are doing? Well, it is their luxurious lifestyle that they are living. And it's shown again and again in verses 4 down to verse 6, the different things that they are doing. How are the Israelites living? Well, firstly, we see that they are lying around on expensive beds. Verse 4 says, You lie on beds inlaid with ivory. They don't just lie around all day. They lie around on nice beds that are inlaid with ivory. These are expensive beds that they have, uh, that they have formed. Uh, we have quite a lot of wealth, I would say, today, but I'm not sure that many of us would have a bed with ivory, in, uh, uh, ivory inlaid upon it. It shows here that they were really going after very nice beds here. But not just lying around on beds, they were lounging around on couches, it says in verse 4. You lie on beds inlaid with ivory and you lounge on your couches. They have nice couches and they lounge around on them. The Hebrew word there for lounging is sort of this hanging off word that you sort of sprawling. It can be used to describe something that's hanging off an object. And that's what these Israelites are doing. They're lying on their couches, sprawled there, having a lovely, luxurious lifestyle. And it doesn't just talk about them lounging around. It talks about the way that they are eating. What are they eating in verse 4? You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. Now, we live in an age where we can get meat fairly easily, but in that time, most people didn't eat meat very regularly. It was a luxury. It was rare. Not that it was uncooked, uh, but it was a rare thing for people just to have. 
And these people, these Israelites, are not just eating meat, but they're eating best of the meat. They're not eating mutton. What are they eating? Young lamb. And they're not eating the steaks that are from an older cow. They're eating veal, realistically, you could say, in verse 4. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves, calves that have been fed lots of grain in the stall, so they're nice and juicy to eat. Nice veal is what the Israelites are eating. And then while they're sprawling on their couches, eating well, what are they doing? Well, we see in verse 5, you strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. They're not here out in the fields doing some hard work. What are they doing? They're tinkling away with music while they're sprawled on their couches, eating the finest of food. Um, And then we see that they're not just eating well, they're also drinking well. Verse 6, you drink wine by the bowlful. These guys, they don't bother with cups. They drink with a bowl. It's equivalent today of people drinking from the bottle rather than drinking from the glass. They have so much wine that they can just drink it by the bowlful as they're lounging on their couches, as they're tinkling away on their harps, inventing new sounds and new musical instruments. They're improvising there. They're drinking wine by the bowlful. And they also are able to have some very luxurious things in their homes, not just nice couches and beds, but we see in verse uh, 6, they don't just drink wine by the bowlful, which shows how much they have in their, in their homes, but also verse 6 it says, and they use the finest of lotions. These guys have nice lotions, nice perfumes, moisturizer to rub into them while they're sitting there on their couch playing their harps. Every so often they might stop and rub in some nice lotion into them and then they have a big drink from a bowl full of wine and eat a bit of lamb and then eat a bit of veal. Can you get the picture of the lifestyle of these Israelites? They're complacent. They're secure. This is a lifestyle of people who feel very secure. And what are they complacent about? What should they have been doing? Well, verse 6 tells us, You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Israel. They should have been grieving over the ruin of their fellow man, over their church and their nation. Their nation was plagued with sin. Their nation had people who were poor and suffering while they lived on nice beds, while they slept on nice beds. There were people who were probably sleeping on the ground and they were not concerned about the ruin of such fellow men. They were not concerned about the sin of their fellow men and encouraging people to worship the living God. And they were not concerned about the destruction that was to come because of the sin that God had warned them that if they continue to live in disobedience to him, that he would bring disaster upon them. And they were completely complacent about it. They were lying on their couch and they were hearing about the wrath of God and they were saying, well, where's my next bowlful of wine? And what did I do with my moisturiser? These people were complacent when they should have been concerned about the physical poverty, the sin and the imminent destruction that is coming on their fellow man. And so what will God do to the Israelites? Well, at the beginning of the passage, he opens in verse 1 with woe to them. 
And then in verse 7 it says, Therefore you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. You like to be first? You like to smell the best? You like to eat the best food? You like to lounge around? Well, you'll be first. First into exile. I'll bring in another nation that will destroy many of your people. And you who are left, you'll be carted off to another nation. And this happened. Syrian army came in and carted the people off. See, with the Babylonians, they take the choice people in the land, the people who are princes in the kingdom. They take them off to their own land to serve in those nations. Now, how relevant is Amos for us today? Does it have relevance for us? Well, I think it does. I think it's very relevant. As we look at the Australian lifestyle, we can see that they are very complacent about the physical suffering that is going on within our own country and around the world. They're very complacent about the sin that is committed by many fellow Australians. And they're very complacent about the imminent destruction that so many face in hell, including many of themselves. How do I know this? Well, you look at the way that the Australians live. And it's not very different from the way that the Israelites were living so many years ago. Australians like to lie down on nice beds and couches, to sprawl on a couch. They may not tinkle on music. I get somebody else to do that and they listen to some sort of recording. But they may not listen to music. They may play video games or watch the television set. I think if Amos was alive today, he wouldn't just speak about strumming away on harps there, he'd speak about Netflix and free-to-air TV and video games. That's what people do on couches today. The Israelites would have, if they'd been invented, I'm sure, they would have been lounging around doing such things. It shows our complacency, our luxurious lifestyle here in Australia. And Australian complacency is shown by what we eat. We eat today better than kings, even just a couple of hundred years ago. We eat so well. We have so much meat available that we are picky about what we eat. We'll go after the veal. We'll go after the lamb. We don't want to eat the mutton. We don't want the T-bone steak. We want the very nice meat that we can get. We're quite fussy about our food. And as I said before, they drank by the bowlful. Australians can drink by the bottle. They like they'd wine, and don't worry about the glass. Give me the whole bottle. And Australians are complacent as well in the way that they live like Israelites with their lotions, with their perfumes. They have time to work, to make the money, to spend that money on expensive lotions. The best of perfumes, not any old perfume, but I want a perfume that is well known. The great brands, that's what I'm after. I want lotions that are going to make me stop ageing. And I'll rub them in regularly every day, those anti-ageing creams. And it's not just women that we might think of that do this. Apparently, according to Forbes, and this is talking about Americans, but I'm sure there's an extrapolation that we can make to Australians, last year alone, men's skincare product sales jumped 11%, outpacing growth in all other men's grooming categories, including bath and shower, deodorant and hair care. In total, men spent a total of $6.9 billion in the US on grooming products last year, Euromonitor data shows. $6.9 billion. And in that article it says, 
Uh, children, when you're thinking about what, in, what to get Dad for Father's Day, don't get him socks, get him anti-ageing cream. He'll probably appreciate it more. This shows the lifestyle that we live in, a luxurious lifestyle, a complacent lifestyle, whereas we should be concerned about the ruin of mankind. People here in Australia have little time for the words of Jesus Christ, which we just had read for us before from Luke chapter 6. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. But before we point the finger, as Christians here this morning at those around us in the Australian culture, we have to recognise how easy it is for us to get sucked into luxurious lifestyles, to get sucked into complacency and the security that the world surrounds themselves with here in Australia. I'm not saying here this morning that you can't have nice things, but we have to be very careful that we're concerned about the ruin of those around us and willing to give up some of the nice things because we see the physical suffering of people around us here in Australia, but also overseas. We see the complacency of people in their spiritual sin. We see the ruin of mankind. We understand what sin is and how disastrous it is for our fellow Australians. And so we're willing to give up luxuries for it. And we, can, we are concerned about the eternal ruin of those around us that their sin doesn't just have consequences for this life, but has consequences for the life to come, that there is an exile coming where people will be taken out of this world and they will be eternally tormented in hell because of their sin. We as Christians have to be people who are not complacent about such things, who are concerned about the ruin of our fellow man. And what does that look like? What does a lifestyle look like if you're concerned about the ruin of your fellow man, well, you do end up shunning many luxuries. Why? Well, two reasons I'll give you this morning. The first reason is that luxurious living often distracts us from the ruin of mankind. We're so distracted enjoying the luxuries that we don't have time to think about those around us. Our minds just don't want to go there because we're so interested in the television set, we're not interested in being concerned about the sin of our fellow man. And of course, it consumes our time itself. In, when we have to make money to buy the luxurious things, to buy those nice perfumes, to buy those nice meals, to surround ourselves with nice things in the home, it takes our time so that we are not grieving over the ruin of mankind. And then, of course, to use those luxuries takes its time as well. It consumes our time. It distracts us, but also consumes the time. I Usually my wife cuts my hair, but recently I went to a barber to have my hair cut, to have it styled in a particular way that would cover up the fact that my hairline's receding. And, uh, and this barber was saying different things that I could do, and uh, it's primarily my wife who's concerned about the hairline receding. I think I should just shave it all off. Um, but he said, what you can do, you can do the comb-over effect, and, and you can blow-dry it every morning. It only takes about 20 minutes. I said, 20 minutes to blow-dry my hair every morning? I just don't have that luxury. I don't have that time to devote to that. It's true. The luxuries that we enjoy in this world 
They take our time to enjoy them, to do them, to have them. And so we have to be willing to forgo many of the luxuries of this world if we truly grieve over our fellow man. For example, how would this look? What luxuries do you have to give up if you grieve over fellow man? Well, if you're here on Sunday mornings, I know you've given up a few luxuries just to be here this morning. You've given up lying on your bed for a few extra hours, as many Australians may be doing even now, like the Israelites did. They like lying on their beds. Australians like lying on their beds, particularly on a Sunday morning. Take it nice and easy. And if you have to come to church, well, you forego that. You've given up late, staying up late on Saturday evenings, having nice parties. Because you know you're going to have to get up in the morning and not just go to church, but you have to try and be alert for church so that you can worship God without distraction. You give up those Saturday nights. And you've probably given up Sunday brunch altogether. You never, give up, you never know what Sunday brunch actually is because you've never actually had Sunday brunch because church is always on at Sunday brunch time. So you've never actually experienced that kind of meal that our society loves so much. And you may give up extra work, which buys the nice things, so that you can be at church on Sunday mornings. And why would you do that? Because you know that Sunday morning, being in church, coming and hearing from God's word, reminds you of the ruin of mankind. The ruin of your own life because of sin, but also the ruin of your fellow man and how desperately he needs your help and how desperately he needs Christ's help. He needs the gospel. And even by coming on a Sunday morning and saying no to other friends who would li- and relatives who would like you there for Sunday morning brunch, when you say no to them, you actually see it as a gospel opportunity, that they see that there's something in your life that is more important than meals. And that is the worship of the living God. And so you go and say to them, no, I can't do it. Sunday mornings, it's just not possible. Just not an option. My calendar is filled on Sunday mornings for the rest of my life. It's a recurring event on my calendar. I can't give it up to anybody else. How else do we show giving up luxuries when we're concerned about a ruined, sinful world? Well, if you return tonight for prayer meeting, I know you've given up the luxury of relaxing, a relaxing Sunday evening with all the benefits of nice meals and lounging on the couch. Why do people come to a Sunday evening prayer meeting? Because they know that it's one of Satan's greatest fears is God's people on their knees. Why is that? Because they know, and Satan knows, that God often helps ruined mankind through prayer meetings, that that is God's weapon by which he helps those who are ruined. I love it in movies when you see there's a group of soldiers and they're fighting the enemy and they're, they're getting overwhelmed by the bigger cannons of the other people and they, or even more forces that are available there. And so someone's there on the radio and he's calling in air support and then in come the planes. They get the target. They know exactly where to drop the missiles. And there go the enemy's attacks. They're just completely blown up. I love seeing that in movies. And that is something of what God does through prayer meetings. When people come and gather in prayer, they're calling in air support. 
They're calling upon God to rain down terror on the evil one and help ruined mankind. God does powerful things through prayer meetings, through Christians on their knees before the living God. I'll give you an example in Acts chapter 4. Turn with me there now, page 1081. Page 1081. Peter and John were arrested uh, for healing a man, basically, and then speaking about Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, page 1081 of the Black Church Bibles. They get released in verse 23, and then they pray to God, and that is from verse 24 through to verse 30, their prayer to the God, uh, and they gather with other other people, uh, other Christians. They get return to their own people. They report what's been done, and then they pray. And then what happens after this prayer meeting? After they call in the air support of God, what happens? Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. God's people pray, and the kingdom advances. Air support comes. And so many people, many Christians, many unbelievers benefit from those Christians who are willing to give up a luxurious Sunday evening, sprawled on the couch, watching TV, in order to call in air support. We as Christians have to be willing to give up luxurious lifestyles so that we can help those who are ruined around us. And one of the greatest ways to do that is to call on the living God. But there's other ways. If you go to a Bible study, you may have had to give up the luxury of playing a sport you love. Why? Well, it's because you know that physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Yes, physical training is of some value. Yes, the Bible admits that. But godliness has value for all things, now and forevermore. You'll be better equipped to help those who are ruined. If you listen to sermons in the car, you've given up the luxury of listening to music. I struggled with this one for a long time. I like my music a lot. I like to listen to music in the car. But I know that it's better for me to listen to some sermons, to listen to some edifying podcasts, rather than listen to the tinkling music like those Israelites did on their couches so many years ago. If you read books about the spiritual state of mankind, you've given up the luxury often of things like social media. Instead of looking at Facebook on your phone, you look at a Kindle book that speaks about evangelism. While you're waiting in a queue, you can just do a couple pages there, then do another couple pages when you're bored or sitting brushing your teeth. That's how I read Kindle books. While I'm brushing my teeth, I, I get out my phone, read a couple of pages, wait till the next day, read a couple more pages, and you get through a few. I don't generally like e-books, but that's one way that I found it to be beneficial rather than looking at something like social media on my phone. And if you fast from food, 
You give up the luxury of food altogether for a time. And why would you do that? Well, you know that fasting saves money. If you don't have that nice meal, you'll have more money to give to someone who needs it. It also gives you time to pray if you don't have to prepare meals. You also understand the ruin of mankind a little better. When you feel those hunger pangs in your stomach, you know something of what, a little taste of what it is like to be in another country and to feel hunger pains. And it also shows to the Lord how serious you are about mourning over the ruin of mankind. And if you give generously of your money, well, often you have to shun some of the luxuries of this world, the expensive perfumes, the clothes, the food. You shun them so that you can give more so that people can have something to eat somewhere and so that some people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the first time, they've never heard about Jesus Christ and the eternal life that he gives. And you forego some of the luxuries by saving that money and then giving it so that people can hear the gospel, so that people can have something to eat. And you may even cut back on work hours, give up the luxury of extra work hours, which means extra pay, which means extra luxuries in your home, so that you can teach scripture in the local school, or help out with a kids' club, or help out sharing the gospel at a nursing home, or spending time with someone to talk about their spiritual state, to help a prisoner mentoring a prisoner through Crossroads Prison Ministry, which we support at this church. They have all these prisoners, and they send Bible studies out, and we need people to mark those Bible studies and send them back. But that means that Christians have to give up some time, maybe some time from work. Maybe it's just a matter of giving up watching TV one night a week or playing a video game one night a week. But if that is what you understand about these ruined prisoners that they need the gospel message and they're actually willing to study the Bible, then you go, okay, I'm going to give up TV so that someone in a prison somewhere in Australia actually finds the help that they need. And if you go into full-time ministry, well, that's when you give up. Or if you work in a parachurch organisation, you give up a nice, potentially easy job, well-paid job, and all the benefits there comes, a nice home that you want to buy, go into some of these parachurch organisations, the pay is not particularly good. And so you give up the luxuries of this culture so that you can help the advancement of God's kingdom. And if you go to, as a missionary to a third world country, well, I can't even begin to imagine all the luxuries you give up, particularly when you leave a country like Australia. The health care that we enjoy here, the many, many different things just all around us that we take for granted. We've got a missionary coming next week to visit us. should ask them, what are some of the biggest differences that you spot between Australia and your country? One of the things that I didn't even realise is the paved roads and paved sidewalks that you can walk on. Many countries, you're always cleaning the house because dirt's always coming in off the road. And you, if you go to a third world country, well, then you have to give up the luxury of a paid, paved sidewalk. But you do it because you're concerned about the ruin of mankind. And so some of these things, they may sound a bit crazy. A willingness to forgo such luxuries sounds a bit odd. But it's actually quite normal for those who grieve. When we see a terrible disaster in our country, like we see in another state, floods in Queensland, cyclones in Queensland, or maybe even in our own state we see the drought, what happens when people see that? 
when they grieved over seeing those animals starving, well, dehydrated, they just haven't got enough to eat and they haven't got enough to drink, people's wallets open. People see what they can do. They grieved about the state of their fellow man, and so they're willing to help. And this is what needs to happen for us as Christians. Sounds terrible to give up so many of these luxuries that we enjoy in this country. But if we're really grieving over the sin of our fellow man and the physical pain of many people around the world because they just don't have enough to eat, then we will be willing to help. If God opens our eyes to how much suffering, how much of our fellow man is in ruin, and how much we have to offer. See, that's the thing. We don't always see how much we have to offer, including the loveliness of Jesus Christ. Do we really understand how terrible it is that people are going to hell, and yet Jesus Christ is there, willing to give them eternal life, And God wants to use us to share that good news about the loveliness of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for them. But we just don't see the loveliness of Jesus Christ and we don't see their ruin, so we're not willing to give up luxuries of our time and our money to help them. And this goes for me too. It's so easy for me to be attracted to that television set. I've struggled with it for many years. I love movies. I love watching TV. Um, but it is something that I can give up if I put my mind to it, if I'm concerned about the ruin of my fellow man and, and realise how much I have to offer, then it can happen. And children should be concerned as well, learning while you're young to forgo the luxuries of this culture that are offered to us so that we can help others. I love that many of us in this room do give up many luxuries, Even just being here this morning, as I said, you've given up a few extra hours on your bed. I love that you do that. But could you do more? Could you be more concerned for the ruin of mankind and give up more for the ruin of mankind? What luxuries are keeping us from helping those around us who need our help? Maybe this afternoon, take some time praying to the Lord, asking him to open your eyes to the ruin of humanity and opening your eyes to how much you have and what you can give up so that you can help your fellow man, so that you're not like those Israelites of so many years ago who just spent a life sprawled on the couch, enjoying themselves, and then were first to go into exile because they just weren't concerned about the ruin of their fellow man. Let's come to God in prayer now. Let's speak to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the many luxuries you have given us. Of all the countries of the world, we in Australia have so much. It is so wonderful to recognise this and to thank you for it. But Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for being complacent about the ruin of mankind, that these luxuries that we enjoy have made us feel secure and complacent about our fellow man and the disaster he faces as he continues to wallow in sin. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand the ruin of mankind and understand what we can give up to help our ruined neighbours and so that we would indeed do so. 
And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, as we come to the Lord's table together, it's good for us to read the instructions of our Lord about this matter, particularly the time that it was instituted in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 26, where Jesus is uh, sharing a last meal before he goes to the cross to give his life. And so he's eating with his disciples. And it says in verse 26 of Matthew 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the da- that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So here we see the Lord Jesus reminding them of his body and his blood given for them, that this is a new covenant that he is instituting with his people. And so this table today that we have as a remembrance of the Lord Jesus given for us, it is for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. It is not a table for those who live as though luxury and good times are all that there is. It is not for those who pamper their bodies and their environment as though they're living forever, who forget that their body will decay one day in the ground, for those who forget that all their possessions one day will be consumed in fire when Jesus returns to make his new heavens and a new earth. If that is you, if you have forgotten that your body will one day decay, if you have forgotten that your possessions will one day all be destroyed and you are living as though this life is all that there is, then this is not a table for you. What you need to do is consider the ruin that you are in because of your sin. You need to consider the death that you will one day have and the consequences that will come after that death in hell. I encourage you to do that this morning. Do not take part in this table. Leave that for those who have recognised their death who have recognised that all their possessions will one day be destroyed and who have recognised the ruin of their sin and recognised the ruin of the Lord Jesus Christ on their behalf. This is the wonderful truth that the Bible proclaims, is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, he left all luxury in heaven and came and dwelt on this earth because he was concerned about ruined man. He was concerned about people caught in their sins and knew there was no other way of salvation except if he left all those luxuries in heaven and came and dwelt on this earth as a poor Galilean peasant and then even gave up a peaceful death and experienced a horrible, tormented death at the cross so that ruined men could have eternal life. This table is for those who have embraced Jesus Christ's death, who have recognised that they are ruined if they stand on their own, but have recognised that the ruin of Jesus Christ has brought about salvation for them. And so they come to the table And they rejoice in what Christ has done, in giving his body, giving his blood, foregoing the luxuries that he could have enjoyed so that we can go free. 
And so I encourage you, if you're not a believer, consider the state of your sin. Consider that you may be first into exile, into hell. But if you are a believer and you're here this morning, I encourage you and invite you to take part with us as we remember Christ giving up everything for ruined man, which includes us if we trust in him. I invite Danny to come and lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we worship and praise and adore you. We come before you in awe and in wonder as we marvel at the salvation that your right hand has worked for us, that you loved us so much that you did not spare your only Son, that through him we might have forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Heavenly Father, we do praise and worship the Son, Jesus, who came and who did your will, who did everything well. Remember him who did not consider equality with you something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and humbled himself to death, even death upon a cross. Remember him who surrendered his body to cruel nails driven through his hands and his feet. Remember him who knew no sin but became sin for us. Remember him who knew oneness with the Father but was forsaken by him. And remember him throughout that entire anguish cried out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Oh, Heavenly Father, forgive us, we pray through Jesus Christ. Forgive us, for we know your word tells us that we fall short of your glory. It tells us that, that none of us do good, that none of us seek you, none of us understand, that we have together become worthless. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. And Heavenly Father, we confess that even in this past week we have fallen short of your glory. We confess that we have sinned before you. We have done that we should not have done. The good we should have done, we haven't done. Our Lord, we've spent more time in the blessings you have given us than spending time with the one who presented us with those blessings. Forgive us, Lord, for our complacency before you. Forgive us that we do not care enough about our fellow man in their state. Forgive us through Jesus Christ, for he is sufficient to forgive all sins. Forgive us, Heavenly Father, we pray, for we know we have forgiveness in him, for he was not abandoned to the grave, but was raised on the third day. Did you raise him from the dead, and he appeared to many, then you raised him to your right hand, for he is seated now above all rule and authority, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, Lord, we long for the day in which we see our Saviour face to face. We long to be in the presence of the, the, the multitude in heaven and worship at the throne of the Lamb who was slain. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come soon. We ask this in his name. Amen.